Welcome to The Exhibitionists, a podcast on the weird and wonderful world of global trade shows. This edition, we're going to be talking about the subject of content at trade shows. It's a, it's a, I'd say it's quite a divisive one, wouldn't you, Steph? People, I think so. You know, you've got you've got free and you've got paid. You know, and and here in the U.S., um, as as our guest, who we'll get to in a moment, uh, talks about, is you know the Confex model. So here in the Confex, the Confex model, I didn't even know what that was until I heard it when I was in Europe. And I guess it's it's a combination of a convention and a trade show. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. And it, it, All right. it, 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 it sort of implies that there's a greater element of education and, and, uh, and conference content than, than there is a, a, a straight-up trade show, which can be, back in the day, quite a transactional affair. Well, you know, it's, that's really interesting because here in the U.S., I would say probably 90 95% of all trade shows have an educational component. And in fact, a lot of them offer paid educational programming, not just, you know, free on the show floor. So it's, it's pretty interesting to me that this is even a thing. Isn't it? I mean, many of these organizers grew out of, 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 of trade magazines. So whereas the readers would read uh, the articles and the, and the advertisers would reach them that way, now you have people coming through the turnstiles, walking the floor, and the exhibitors trying to reach them that way. Uh, oh, a bit, absolutely. Bit... You know, my, my, mom, my mom actually, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. My mom yeah. actually started her first trade show uh, because she had a magazine and she figured if her competitor competitive magazine could do a show so could she seriously that's how she started so this whole animosity between you know magazines and media and the trade shows that they serve within the same companies i just never understand the animosity to me it makes no sense whatsoever Mm. is there animosity well how do you mean yeah um uh, there's quite a few excuse me there's quite a few organizations where you do have the media fighting with the trade show people and instead of working together, they, because maybe they have different P&Ls, they're not tied in together, who knows? It never makes any sense to me. But it's something that I've seen covered in a lot of different um, conferences on exhibitions, believe maybe, it or not. Maybe the media needs – you mean the general media? You don't mean the trade media following No, I mean shows. the trade media within the same companies. Oh, maybe they need to uh, launch their own shows and they'll kind of come around I'm to just... seeing what the, what, the, <laughs> what the value is. But but um, but the the point to me is that the, the origin of a lot of these trade show organisers is in providing good content because without the good content you don't get the readers and without right. the good show you don't get the good exhibitors and that's the same thing. It's, so it's the whole thing of providing value, right? That's right. And this is where we come into an issue of pay to play, isn't it? Which is a, an absolute bugbear of yours, am I right? Oh my god, I hate it. I yeah. hate it. If you're gonna if you're gonna do pay to play, then state it ahead of time. You know, make it a sponsorship or give um, your exhibitors platform. Um, for example, my friends at uh, ASIS, which is a security show and an organization here in the U.S., you know, they, they, give a, they give a spot for the exhibitors, and they've now got a platform and they've got a stage to speak. Um, at other shows I used to do, we would do the same thing. But I think there's a real difference between paid content and not paid content. And that's, we've got to define what pay to play is. And that's precisely what you're saying there is where you, you money exchange hands in order for you to, uh, to, to provide content. Right. So, yep. So uh, th- I think, and I think if you're going to do it, state it, tell yeah. the people, because otherwise it is false advertising and, it and is. also work with your exhibitors to make sure that not only are they doing an infomercial, but they're, they're giving real advice. And that so is what's so the, what's, hard to do, but it's so important to do. 
What's an example of each then? So pay-to-play, a uh, good example of pay-to-play would be a stage sponsored by, well, it would be a segment that you get to deliver on stage, which is promoting the value of your company. And you do so with your company logo emblazoned on, on the board behind you. People know that that is you pitching the content of your company, you know, the, the basis, yeah. pitching the concept to your company. Yeah. Where as you becomes... guys say, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a live advert. It's a live advert. Yeah. And they're not yeah, really yeah. giving, they're not, you know, if I'm sitting in a chair and I'm paying for education or even if I'm not, I don't want to hear it. I really am not interested in a pitch unless I know it's a pitch. Yeah. So where it and becomes scurrilous, well, that's it. So where it becomes scurrilous is when you take that logo off the board behind you. It's not just a, it's not just imperative that organizers do this for um, their profit margins and that sort of thing. We're actually talking about engaging the people coming in, aren't we? I mean, according to the, the recent UFI and Explory Global Visitor Insights Study. Um, which, which, was, which, by the way, may be found at UFI.org. Absolutely. Download, you can download it there. Well noted and worth doing for anyone in the industry. Um, they're, they're, they spoke to 13,000 trade show visitors. And one thing that did come out of it, which I found quite interesting, was that a quarter of the American visitors um, spoke, uh, apparently say that um, events they attend are actually getting worse. That's they're a actually, really alarming They're actually being statistic. bored by the traditional trade show model. And well, how you do know, you compete with boredom? Content. You make it content. engaging. You make it interesting. And you make it about them. You make it about them. You know, uh, it's, it's true. You make it about them. It, are there pain points in the industry? Then you should be solving them. If you're doing all of your programming nine months in advance, your programming is already old. In fact, in, in Kai Hattendorf's uh, words, he's the CEO of UFI, the ability to source new ideas and solutions is most closely correlated with overall visitor satisfaction. Bit of a, bit of a mouthful, but that is, that, that, that is the point here. You know, if you want to improve those satisfaction ratings and reviews, then you know, keep them entertained and do that with content and do it imaginatively and be innovative. Uh, you know, and it's really not that hard. It's not that hard to use your imagination. Think about, you know, uh, and something I suggest to our listeners, if you're doing anything with content, think about the stuff that has resonated most with you and things that you've gone to, the live events that you've been to. Think about those things and then say, how can I adapt this for what we do here? Not that hard. You no. know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is there. You just have to pay attention to which direction the wheel is going. So, Steph, you spoke to Chris Walsh? Yep. Chris is the uh, founding editor and vice president of uh, Marijuana Business Daily. Um, with, uh, they do the MJ BizCon. And actually, we did, a, we did a podcast with two other people from that organization, with Cassandra Farrington and Chris Day. So there's two Chris's. New shows, um, new spaces. That was it. New shows, new spaces. Check it out. There's some really good information on that particular podcast as well. Um, both of them are quite eloquent. And really smart people. So, yeah, we, I, I had the chance also the same day to, to talk to Chris Walsh. And the interview was so good, but the topic was so different that we decided to do this instead. So, here we go. So, tell us a little bit about um, what you do with the organization. So, uh, I was, uh, I helped launch our content. So, we basically started this with a news website for executives and entrepreneurs in the industry. And when we started this in 2011, no one was doing that. It was the stoner in his basement, you know, eating Cheetos and writing, uh, blogging about the government and how the law should change. But no one was writing for these new business people who were finding a place in states that had legalized and were allow paving the way for businesses. So 
we started it as a media company, and then over you know a year and a half later, we added an event because there was nothing like it out there for professionals. And so now we do market research, and we have a B two B trade publication, and we also do these big events. So how many how many readers would you say you have? How many or subscribers? Sorry, how many subscribers? Um, to our newsletter, our daily newsletter, we have about fifty five thousand. Uh, that we've grown over the last seven and a half years. And our magazine is controlled circulation, so we only send it out to certain people, and we try and keep that around 17,000. Those are still pretty good numbers. Yeah. And then, you know, we get really good web traffic as well. And then, you know, our events are the centerpiece uh, of what we do in some respects, but we still consider ourselves a content company. It just so happens that we also provide that through events, whether it's networking or sessions. And I'm a a big believer that events should be giving content and trade shows should be giving content and there's so much that you can repurpose throughout the year as well I mean it's a prime place to get content how many how many sessions are you running this year in your conference part oh we've got you know we've got pre-cons we've got basically four pre-cons you know day before separately ticketed uh, full day sessions and then you know we have six tracks for two days and then we have a general session for a half a day so you know it's been growing year after year after year we have you know 140 speakers and uh, it's it's a lot obviously as anyone in the event industry knows Um, but this industry is really hungry for information and networking and to figure out how this industry works and what businesses are out there. And to also make the industry and build it together, mm-hmm. I would imagine. I mean, it's it, it has gone from kind of the Wild West into something where the you've got venture capital money coming in and you've got different, or, or not, or am I yeah. completely wrong? No, absolutely, and, and there's there's still a, a collective spirit to this industry. It was founded, you know, by mom-and-pop entrepreneurs who took these legal risks when it was really unknown, and they risked jail time, and some of them had families, and... And they took those first risks, and so they were in it together, and they had a passion for the plant. Now you're seeing it morph. The big business, big money's coming in, and it's changing, but there's still a, we're all in this together, and we need to you know, prove that this industry is strong and resilient and professional and help change the laws. Um, I would assume that, that you, know, you and your, your, your editorial team kind of call through and see what the hot spots are who would be good and who would be bad? And do you find speakers from just the industry, or do you bring in outside speakers as well on certain topics? We do both. I mean, we uh, there's a lot of ways to run an event with content, and we are very against pay-to-play for our industry and what we do. So we well, content Amen. is really key. Amen on that one. And I come from a journalism background, so uh, <laughs> you know that fits in with what I do and the co-founders as well. Anne and Cassandra uh, come from that background too in general of understanding that you know you can't give a sponsor stage time you can't let promotion from the stage as much as you can control it so that's how we approach everything and I think that um, you know we look for we have a very we have curated content we have a heavy vetting process that I've installed uh, and we rely on our journalists and myself with institutional knowledge and our conference content team to really come up with the agendas based on our knowledge that no one else has. You have other events that don't have the content arm, the journalism arm, and they're just taking submissions and picking some or giving the way favors. So we, we put a lot of time and effort. We'll edit PowerPoints. We will go back to the speaker and say, you got to move this. This doesn't make sense. And they get upset sometimes. But So we have speakers from inside the industry, but we love to find people from outside who can share their business experience. Like best practices, <coughs> like for a small or manufacturing or small business 
Absolutely. owners, like Executive entrepreneurs. leadership, you know, things like succession planning. I mean, there's a million th people from that are growing tomatoes and are like, here's the things that apply to cannabis that I see. Right. Because it's farmers. It's farmers. And it's They're farmers. And it's a plant. And if you look at it from a bigger picture perspective, you know, growing and processing and selling cannabis is like growing and processing and selling everything else. It truly is. It truly is. Um, I want to get back to, to, you know, working with speakers because I think a not, not enough show organizers particularly, they're so focused on the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Um, they're so busy, focused on the show that they forget that really having prepared speakers with content that hasn't been heard before or that is new or it is given in a different way is really important and it's and it's very time intensive on the on the conference side and i think you you know i've been a speaker in, in places and they want my powerpoint six months before <clears throat> which for me is a little challenging <laughs> you know three months three months yes but i understand especially when you've got what 148 speakers well yes and, and it's what we see is that when, when i go to like trade show Events like for the industry, right? Uh, they never have sessions on content. It's all about growing your show floor and 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 proving a stagnating event or dealing with the competition. But I rarely see sessions on how you should handle your content, how you stay innovative, how you should work with speakers. And I always want to go up to the organizers and say, have some sessions on that. It's important. It's important because for a lot of trade shows there is a conference element, right? And for a lot of conferences there's a trade show element, so they overlap a lot. So. Um, you know, I think I'm going to interrupt and say, convex for a lot of people outside the United States. In the U.S., it's much more common to have a, a big educational component along with your trade show uh, because most of the uh, shows in the United States are owned by associations or uh, NGOs, as y'all call them. But um, I think it's important to mention that, that in here, at least in the U.S., it is a, a prime reason why people come to shows besides seeing new things is the education that they can get. Yeah, and if you invest in that and put time into it and do it right, it really enhances your event and, and it, it gives you a competitive advantage of the other person who could put a bunch of booze on a show floor too. And and this space is definitely becoming more and more crowded by people starting their own shows. Yeah, and, and that's where our competitive advantage lies and, and always will is uh, is that content and, and approaching the speaker vetting and selection process uh, very deliberately and carefully. And to your question, uh, yeah, we, we require... We require all the presentations to be in well in advance. We edit them. We go back. We add things. We'll sometimes get in heated exchanges with speakers because they don't want anyone to change there. But we that's that's where our bread and butter is. We know the industry as well and what our audience wants. So you will see that um, when you look at other events in this space and others, the conferences that don't do that, uh, they, they have a different reputation within the industry. All right. Uh, any final suggestions for folks that are looking to improve or, you know, have, have, um, are, are in growing businesses, per se. I know, another bad pun, but that are in growing businesses in terms of, you know, keeping, keeping the media separate but still working hand-in-hand -hand with the show side because a lot of, there's a lot of conflict in many organizations between the two. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think you need to hire people that have done it or get it. Um, you can't just hire event people and then just produce content. Uh, I think that that's where a lot of people fail because they're hiring marketing people or event show people which don't, they, they're not trained or they don't get the concept of kind of objective content. Uh, so, you know, look at hiring 
you know, journalists and then having them do your content, not content marketing, and having them collaborate with the events team because they're the ones who are really going to be in touch with the industry. And so you can, the two can go hand in hand, and we prove that every day. Um, but you need to have everyone on board with that philosophy at the company. Right. We have our, even our sales staff for our events will say, nope, we're not an event company, we are a content company. It has to be a top-down uh, and across the organization concept for the two sides to work together. I think so, too. <clears throat> God, my voice. All right, so, so in terms of that, do you have your own separate sales team from the show, or is it one team selling both the publications yep. and the show? We have one team who sells advertising the magazine, digital ads, newsletter ads, uh, show booths, sponsorships. Which I think is wonderful because then you have one person who has the relationship with the client and sells across all the platforms. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't make sense to have one person talking to the client about a magazine ad and then another person talking to the same client about a booth and then another person talking to the same client about something else. Yeah. They so they can develop relationships and then you can start structuring deals that bundle together different parts of your company uh, and then you're, you're getting a better relationship with them and hopefully higher revenue than the one-off buy this booth and maybe buy this app. Right. All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Chris. And I know you've got a lot to get back to, so we appreciate it. And um, we look forward to seeing the show floor. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a good one. Thank you. Well, bearing in mind his, his, his point there, what do you think are some clever ways that an exhibitor can approach an organizer and say how, or maybe not an exhibitor, but somebody can approach an organizer with a stack of cash and say, how can I engage your audience? I think it really depends on how the show is run and what the content is. I'm a firm believer in coming up and being a thought leader. So in other words, if you're interested in doing content and selling your company at the same time, there are good ways to do it. You know, that you've got the how-to videos in a lot of industrials, right? Where people yeah. have put in or they've got the virtual reality stuff. You can do combinations with those things because people like to be engaged, either on the show floor or, you know, or, you know sitting, in, sitting in a classroom. Well, right? and, and in online. A I mean, if, if, if every treasurer has a big online com component, then, I mean, you can, that's another place to stick content, is it not? It is. But, you know, you need to be careful with the content. You know, you need to be careful with paid content. And make sure you don't go down a rabbit hole. Uh, and, and industry publication and some people I really think very highly of had a white paper published by one of their sponsors. And I thought, this is going to be really great. And I went down the rabbit hole and discovered, no, the first two sentences were relatable and the rest was a huge ad. And I've never, ever, ever downloaded another white paper again. So it's important to, you know, from that, from that source because they lost my trust. So let's go back to building trust is part of building community. Right. So if somebody has, you know, you be creative, go back. And a lot of times the clients will have an idea. Hey, I saw this at another event. I liked it. Or I've got this idea. For example, at the same show that I just referenced at the ACES show, they had a, a, one of the, their big committee members said, Hey, what if we had a demo area with drones? So they went with it. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. you had a whole new area which is true with security and drone security and blowing stuff up. And once an hour, they blew up another drone or every two hours, which was a huge, exciting thing. And they had bleachers, but they had speakers also talking about what to do and the approach and the technology. So there are ways you can be super duper clever, make money, right? And provide a huge benefit to your audience. 
you just have to get out of the same old, oh, we're going to do another panel discussion with the three same people talking heads and not really having a discussion. They're just each giving a soliloquy. We mentioned previously about the origins of these trade shows being in trade publications. And I remember my experience, obviously, is in trade magazines. The thing that was most interesting is everyone expected when the you know print, print started falling over and mags were closing left, right and center, you expected all this money to go straight online. But, but it didn't, because when people came to advertise online, you had countermeasures, things like pop-ups and uh, ad blockers and that sort of thing would stop this sort of thing from reaching your audience. In trade shows, that's not the case. Yet when you walk in, people can be approached. There's no, there's no ad blocker in front of your, the screen in front of you as you walk around the trade show hall. So those countermeasures that came online, they don't work on, on trade shows. And that then gives you a very good, very level playing field in order to go and reach your audience, I think. Absolutely. So being... Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. It's, you know, it, this is a chance to, you know, you just, again, to go back to trust, do it well. If you're going to do, if you're going to do paid content then make sure that you really, you know, curate it, make mm. sure you work with it, make sure you work with the exhibitors to make sure that they're giving value and people aren't sitting for a half hour hearing an ad because no clickbait. to do that. No clickbait. No real world clickbait. Good God. No man. real world clickbait. Maybe that's what we should call this. You wouldn't believe what she <laughs> looks like now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's our opinions. We'd like to thank our uh, special guest, Chris Walsh with MJ BizCon and, and uh, Marijuana Business Daily. And um, if you liked this podcast, please tell your friends to listen to it. Again, we're the exhibitionists. And if you um, have any ideas, you can reach me at uh, www.internationaltradeinformation.com and Anthony at arc-imedia.com. Till the next time. Thank you. <laughs>